This episode is brought to you by eBay. This Father's Day, celebrate the guy who always makes the time with Rolex, Omega, Breitling, and more. Find modern and vintage watches with the authenticity guarantee at ebay.com. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today we welcome Eric Ratzenberger from the legendary screamo band Jerome's Dream. Jerome's Dream were around for a very short time from 1997 to 2001, born out of the Connecticut hardcore scene. They had a unique way of playing. The singer, Jeff Smith, refused to use a microphone for shows and the band was known for playing very short sets, usually no longer than 10 minutes pretty unique these guys are right alongside page 99 orchid seisha in that early screamo era if you are unaware it's well worth a dive into their career head on over to their site jeromesdreamforever.com and you can learn more about them and be ready for new music in 2019 thank you to all the patreon supporters you make this podcast a reality patreon.com slash washed up emo if you want to support every dollar goes toward keeping this podcast afloat thank you thank you this is episode 144 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast with Eric Ratzenberger from Jerome's Dream. record uh this new record he just said you know you should you should reach out to uh wash that washed up emo (laughs) okay cool and and, you know you had no idea what it was right i I actually i know i i I did not listen to it i I didn't know that it existed but then i saw what you had created after you know 10 years you've you've amassed this archive of really important stuff and you've spoken to a lot of really great artists over the the years and uh i think that's a really important thing to have because i feel like a lot of segments of punk rock haven't been properly archived. They haven't been properly uh, covered historically. And before know? the sort of internet was the ease of our phone being available to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a pretty incredible time because kind of to what you said a little bit earlier, um, it's not just for the people who were there, like, like us old folk. It's, it's, it's new kids who are discovering this type of music through platforms like Spotify, which is kind of awesome that a lot, that a lot of this music has ended up on streaming, you know? So a kid who discovers one band that, that really resonates with them, they can suddenly discover an, another dozen of, of a similar genre of punk, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I feel uh, like there's a lot of some bands, bands from back then do not want to. And they're like, why would anybody do it? There's a few bands I won't mention that I've tried to convince 
yeah. to do it, and they won't. And I'm like, what if there's that kid that just found out about Screamo yesterday yeah. and realized that it wasn't the shit in the mid-2000s and it actually started earlier and they start going on that trail? I would hate for them to not be able to understand your band's part of it. Yeah. And if it's there, you can. Well, you know, I, I think that that's sort of a general mentality with a lot of old punks you know it's kind of like a, a purist attitude in a way where it's like if it's if it's not gritty and if it's not uh you know if it's not done for for the, the least amount of money and you know it's it's suddenly like not authentic or it, it doesn't have the same weight as something does when you know you, you, you scrap some some money together and put out a seven inch and i don't know i i've, I've never really understood that that approach to uh you know deeming w- w- what's authentic or inauthentic when it comes to intention and and creating music you know underground music um you know w- when we when we started our band when we were like 19 years old and it was like 97 we started you know we had no money we had shitty equipment how um, old were you guys well i think i was 19 when we started or maybe 18, 19, Jeff was just a year older than me. Nick was a year younger, so he was like 18, maybe. And, you know, we we didn't we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't... And you guys were in Connecticut at this time. We started in Connecticut. Where yeah. in Connecticut? Uh, right outside of New Haven. Um, Nick's parents at the time, they were in West Haven. And that's where we started. We actually set up our equipment in Nick's mother's house in the basement. And... You know, Jeff had this really shitty PV amp, solid state, and then he—I don't know what Nick had, but their their guitars, you know, their inputs were loose, and of course the the connections weren't great, and their guitars sounded like shit. And you know, I had a drum set that I I peeled off the the outer shell, <laughs> so it was just it was just a mangled beginner's drum set and that's actually what i played with throughout the whole time with jd was just this the first drum set my parents bought when i was 12 wow (laughs) usually usually people upgrade (laughs) yeah um not not at that time but but again like like you know when you when you're i think when you're younger and you're kind of in that mentality of um you know what your perspective is on on what's what what's pure or what's authentic when when it comes to uh i guess punk rock you know it's weird it's it's been so long i don't even know like what it what what any of that really means anymore you know when you compare back then which is the late 90s early 2000s but but the late 90s in particular you know that time when things it seemed like back then in that very small sliver of time, there was a, a crop of bands that came out. There was a, a really vibrant community of just you know, DIY, DIY hardcore and um, kids from all over, you know. And the, the fact that, that these young people were able to string a community together through, you know... I mean, those were the early days of the internet, so there were, like, chat rooms and shit like that. Like, message like, boards? Yeah, message boards, exactly. Or there were, like, the, the zines that you would come across at a show, you know, or... In- instant Messenger? Of course. You know, AOL. Um, and Rest that's in ca- peace. What's that? Rest oh, yeah. in peace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, of course. But it, it, it was... It was pretty extraordinary to think about how how people successfully created this this very 
intact culture of bands and kids who who had distros who would show up to every show with their you know milk crates of records and and i mean that's how a lot of the music was discovered back then you would see a show that had like a local opener and like you heard of some band that was coming through and everyone was excited for but then but then you know there would be some kid who had a distro that you would f- come across a record that you had no idea existed and oh my god they're from you know such and such place and then you're thinking to yourself holy shit there, there's there's a punk scene there too and and then if you start a band and then you contact them or you you somehow get a contact in the city that that band is from and then you you end up touring through that city and then you end up meeting those other kids and it's just i mean it kind of just was what it was back then but to this day i still find it so incredible that that was even the case you know without google maps without um you know uh streaming like like without Spotify, you know, it was there was more of a hunt. There was more of a, a challenge to connect the dots. Talking about this stuff now in 2018, it, it it blows my mind to think that we were even there. And I'm sure there are listeners who weren't, but there are also a lot who were. And and you make a really good point that we were there at a time where it was sort of on the brink of of, of things changing because of technology. You know, and that's the other thing about punk. There was such a there's such an anti technology angle to it, and I, I never even really understood that either. Because wouldn't punk being like being ahead of everybody else and like doing something? Co- yeah, before? And, and and to me, a big component of punk rock is embracing change. Not you know, a lot of people like to stay sort of in their. Uh, I mean, to say rut is negative, but in a way, it kind of was. And there was there was a reason why I. I personally stepped away from it for a good while because I, at least my experience with it, especially the tail end of it was that people weren't evolving. People weren't embracing change. People weren't, I I mean, and that's fine. It's, 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 you know, you, you could, you could choose to, to kind of keep things a certain way, but even even the band, you know, JD was was one that never really stood still, you know, both um, physically and 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 sonically. It, it the 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 aesthetics changed over time. I mean, people who are familiar with our ten inch, it's a much different record compared to our last record we did, which was Presents, which was you know much different in sound. the 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 approach was the same. And the intentions were the same, but it came out differently. And um, I think I've said this before in a, another, well, a chat that I had with Jeff and Nick in the band. Um, you know, if you listen to, to Presents, in a way, the sound, almost it, it's almost reflective of how we were kind of feeling about, about it all. You know, kind of, you know, it, it was very cynical in a way. And I think a lot of people kind of didn't like that, you know. But we didn't. We, I think for us to hold back or to try and keep us slotted in a particular sound—that's almost anti-punk rock. You know, it's like if you if you have a if you have like a thing you want to experiment with sonically or, or, or you know re, you know structurally or whatever. I think it's key to really answer to that to not be held back by what you think people want to hear or how you should be. You know. Because so it's not going to come off as authentic. Completely. And, and you're going to lose people because they're like, oh, I like the last record or I like this, the first thing. And it's all, they could have been 16 and they broke up with somebody and that's when they heard <sighs> it. But to 
take a journey with a band. Yeah. I always feel bad for bands that got really popular. Yeah. And they had one record and they keep making music. And sure, maybe it's not as good. Sure. <laughs> maybe it's different. Mm-hmm. But if you were a fan, mm-hmm. you'd give it a shot. You'd go to the show and totally. it would be more about them as a band versus an album or a song. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because it reminds me of a review that Jerome's Dream got from Heart Attack magazine, which was uh, Kent McLeod's from Ebullition Records and uh, his, his group over there west, on the West Coast, I think Golita. Uh, when we put out Presents, which was our final record at the time, um, you know, it, they shat on it so hard. And the description, I only remember this because someone sent it, sent it to me recently, but I found it to be really ironic because it was very much that 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 perspective on you know punk rock needs to be shitty and if and it was kind of ironic too because the the person who reviewed it she said that that at one time our records were simple and shitty which is great but now they're overproduced and slick which I found to be incredibly ignorant because for one Kurt Ballou from Converge recorded it and I hardly see him as slick and i don't think he does anything overproduced he's just as much of a punk as 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 anyone out there if not more so i just thought that 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 kind of that kind of negativity and approach because it wasn't even a constructive interview uh not interview uh review rather you know it was it was more like a deliberate you know just pissing on the band because for whatever reason you know but anyways, I mean, not 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 to not to be stuck on um, th- this negative angle of punk. I mean, there's obviously so many amazing, wonderful things about that time, and uh, you know. Well, I think it's and, an interesting time that I always like to. I, it was my favorite four or five years of music. Yeah, mine yes, too. I was in college. Yes, I had access to every record, and I went to shows and yeah. went to Mac Rock and every festival I could. And and this uh, this but this type of music, I feel like hit me more than others um and i just think when you guys were starting out what were some of those bands that you all connected on that you know because again it's it could be random shit because whenever mm-hmm. i talk to some bands it's like they're not even you know rock records it was like we all loved blah 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 and you're like what oh, but, co- completely and then when you got together it made yeah no completely and that's a really good question because i think when people listen to a band like drums dream they i think it's i I think it's easy to to assume that we listened to a lot of other chaotic hardcore bands and we did but it was weird we were kind of discovering them it was so strange because what we were doing we didn't even really know what we were influenced by i mean we were listening to answer your question a second we were listening to a ton of different types of music i mean you know on one side, you know, we're listening to a bunch of West Coast hardcore and bands like Angel Hair and Portraits of Past, uh, Honeywell, um, Volume 11, Gasp. I don't know where those guys are from. I think they're from West Coast. But then a lot of, you know, uh, Southern or Southeast hardcore from Florida, like Palatka and um, I Hate Myself and Reversal of Man, Assuck, um, Early Grace. There were so many bands from so many corners of the country and, and in that genre of, of DIY hardcore. But we were also listening to Jimmy World. We were listening to Piebald. We were listening to Sea and Cake and Don Cab and uh, Paul Newman, Trail of Dead. Um, I mean, uh, uh, my God, Shellac. 
uh, Brainiac, um, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, just just the, the, the how, whole the whole spectrum. How did you find out about those? All of them. We we talked well, about a little earlier. Yeah. But were there like was it like one record store that was like a where was like the epicenter? Because mine yeah. was, it was the college radio station I listened to growing up in, in Vermont, and it would be friends yeah. telling me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, for us in New Haven, Connecticut, there was a venue called the Tune In, and the Tune In was kind of the epicenter for underground music. Um, I it closed down years ago but you know they the, the that was the venue who was putting on um you know proper like 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 east coast hardcore bands like uh you know new york hardcore like Snapcase and earth crisis and all those types of bands a bunch of straight edge hardcore bands and uh you know god i there i i can't even i can't even begin to to to, to list all the shows i've seen there i mean i saw refused there with dead guy and that was fucking. That was one of the the sickest shows I've ever seen because that's when Refused was Refused, and that's when they first came to the states, I think. And I've never seen a band with that much energy just just floor the entire space. And by the way, Tune In is only like a two hundred cap room, or it's like a two hundred and fifty cap room. But but anyway, so Tune In had a record store inside the shop, so that's where you know th- there was a lot of band T shirts, and there's a lot of um, and they had tons of records. And you know that's that's one one place where um, I discovered you know a, a, a lot of records that kind of influenced me, or at least I wouldn't say changed my life, but they certainly added to the world that I was discovering when I was a kid. I mean, I was going to shows when I was fourteen years old, and that was the first place I went to. You know, New Haven was for me going to hardcore shows and skateboarding. You know, I mean, what a great spot too. I mean, it was perfect because there were already hardcore bands from there, yeah. so bands would play there because there were already mm-hmm. bands. And then you were in proximity to New York and Boston, so of course they're going to add yeah. another show. And yeah, it just it was a great, I think, place to be. You could you could be effect. You could still be in the burbs, but totally. then be so close to something that was, uh, I think, very. Well, not city like, but just like but, urban. Yeah, and it was and it was accessible um, because of that. It was, you know New Haven geographically is pretty central on the shoreline in Connecticut, but there are also other cities that were doing shows. I mean, also the, the, the schools. I mean, Yale put on tons of shows. I mean, I saw Trans Am, I saw Braid, I saw um, who else did I see there? Um, First time I saw Jimmy World was at a college. Amazing. I mean, yeah. that, 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 and again, that also reminds me of like Hartford, you know, Trinity College. I, I saw uh, Promise Ring with Compound Red and uh, Jazz June. And to get back to sort of the, the music that influenced us, I mean, Nick, our guitar player, at the time, he was listening to like early Foo Fighters and Jazz June and, uh, and all these other and like Get Up Kids and stuff like that. Which is really funny because well, it's not funny, but it's very opposite to what Jeff and I were listening to. Um, you know, I think Jeff and I were listening to. That makes to, it fun. Well, it it, it creates a unique, uh, not chemistry, but sometimes you just don't expect to come up with things. As at, so, you know, when you're with when you're with three people writing music and you're coming from these different angles, it is kind of amazing to see what comes out of that and it sometimes it's it's things that you least expect yeah um 
well, that's person coming from this other perspective. If you all just listen to Asuk and Universal <laughs> Man, it'd be a pretty boring band. Yeah, it would just it would just sound like another. Yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> nothing then, wrong with that. No, but that's also <laughs> the other thing about. Um, to fast forward to now, there is st- there are still bands who are making music like that, and I think it's really cool that that there are kids today who are tapping into their own version of that, but. Like you said earlier, there will never be another time like that very particular slice of uh, you know late '90s where it was kind of on the brink before things really changed. I, I like that you know Bleed American. It's, and I have a story about Jimmy Eat World pre Bleed American. Um, I guess it was in '99, but um, I'll get back to the, that in a second. Um, but in terms of, I know we're kind of bouncing around a little bit, but in terms of like authenticity and intention when it comes to what's motivating this type of music i mean really that should really motivate all all music you know but that's just simply not the case and there's a lot of copycats and there's a lot of people who are trying to tap into something but they're just navigating they're navigating it all wrong and ultimately what the result is is going to be something that just kind of comes up short because it's not theirs you know and i think that's really important for for people who are making or who are trying to tap into this this thing you know that uh, very like um uninhibited unhinged punk rock music and i guess just for our purposes you know i'm kind of referencing that specifically because i think especially after you know the, the mid to late 2000s like like punk rock in general was i felt like it kind of it sort of petered out in a weird way and i'm sure a lot of people would argue that and i'd I'd, like i would like to hear other people's perspectives on where where underground punk rock music went because uh, truthfully i'm personally like a little bit out of the loop uh especially during that time i i really kind of just just abandoned it i think it was still there i just think the mainstream thought of what punk was was at was mainstream it was down it was down the block at trl yeah you know what was punk was now on trl i think that's what happened for me was that i observed that and i was just like i was just like i can't and like of course people still held held on to or still basement shows they they preserved that that sort of you know culture of of under uh, you know basement shows house shows and you know kids were still putting out records themselves and I think you get a better result if you sort of understand where, where sort of the the roots are, you know, where they come from. Uh, but at the same time, while I while, while I talk about this, I'm almost thinking, well, maybe, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe things just need to be be you know broken down again, or, or just be like yeah, like be, be be fluid. And there, of course, there's always new iterations of things. It's like even with you know our band in 2018 which i never thought i would ever say but when we had this conversation for the first time together last september which was our 20th anniversary um this this idea of of doing a new record came up or something around the idea of that you know and neither none none of us had any idea of what that might look like and terms of sound or approach or because you'd grown you'd well been, you'd a lot been of, out of it for a minute and a lot of life and change and uh, you know a lot of stuff has happened between 
then and now. You know, we're not we're not the angry lost teenagers we once were. And you're young. We were both there. This is what this is supposed to be. Nothing else matters. And then you've got your twenties, and shit starts to get real. Your job, yeah. your life, your family. Yeah, shit goes down. And then you start moving on, and I think maybe we're just stuck in there because of that's when it was. But yeah. you're right. It's those principles that kind of stay with the ethos or the ethics that sort of continue on. Yeah. And I, but I still think that piece of the internet is so important because yeah. it will never be that way right. ever and you, again. And you know what? And Until I, net neutrality, which is coming. Oh, up. God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fucking, yeah. <laughs> Let's not get started on okay. all that stuff. Um, but yes, uh, no, it's so true. And I think, I think really the key is to. Um, I think it's nice that we could you know, we we could talk about back then because we were there. But I also don't want to be precious about. And again, I'm just speaking for myself. Like, I, I want to make sure that when I when people listen to this, and again, I'm really just kind of flying by the seat of my pants here because this it's it's. It's a crazy thing to sort of kind of bring back up and to, to think about back then, and, but then to really consider how much time has gone by, how much has changed. But you're still and, those three guys. You know, American football made a new record. Yeah. I love it. I haven't heard it yet. It's fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. And everyone was obsessed with their last, you know, of course, it's mm-hmm. like seminal record and Mike Kinsella and all this stuff. You know, a lot. One of the guys in the band hadn't played in forever, yeah, and just started playing again. And I think when you have the energy of the people that were in a band yeah, together, yeah. whatever that makes, whatever time period has passed, it's still there, yeah, and it should still be, I think, cherished for what happened because you still you're able to, you're healthy enough, yeah. you're friends with them, you can make it again. Yeah. That should be enough. I agree. Braid the same way. Braid got back together, yeah. did some new stuff. It sounded different, but you could tell it was still them. So I still them. think yeah. you guys together demoing, it's still going to be you. 100%. And um, I think that's why we're so excited for it, to, to, to do this. And, uh, you know, we we haven't even kept in touch, really, since we broke up. Wow. So... On Saturday, I'm actually going to see Nick, who played guitar for the first time in 17 years. That's oh, you've one been of the writing reasons... through the internet? Huh? Had you been writing through the internet? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know how... How, many... how have you been demoing? So I don't know if, if many people know, but like... So I, I played drums in the band, um, but I wrote most of the music in JD, and I don't consider myself a guitar player, but I've always approached the guitar as more of a percussive instrument and i think that's why you know a lot of the stuff we came out with was sort of weird off-time signatures and just it kind of just was a reflection of what i had bopping around in my head and you know um but so this time around um i I, I've been dem- I picked up a guitar for the first time in a long time, and I started I started writing at my house, and I, I live in LA now. So, um, and Nick is in Connecticut, and um, that's kind of how he would start. I would write a part, I would show it to Nick, and then he would sort of put his his stamp on it and sort of elevate it to his weird world of guitar playing. That's you know that's the thing. I can't play like Nick, but I can show him an idea. I can show him something of a particular time signature or a progression. And then he'll be like, he'll be like, okay, that works. And then he'll he'll just play something that 
blows my mind or throws me off and then and, and it works you know and it's that's 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 what one of the reasons why it works so well with with jeff and nick is what each of us bring to the table creates a very particular dynamic you know and there's really no ego involved either um it, ego does not get in the way of, of creative process with us and i think that's why it worked the way it did um and that's why i think it's going to work this time around um but now we just have logistical challenges and uh but thank the internet for um you know demo sharing i mean i mean postal service created a whole you know i mean and even back then that was that was like that was pretty intense that was like really the first of its kind where this idea of file sharing to, to actually make a record was done and they did it and that you could do it yeah and very successfully yeah. at that you know <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, granted, those two guys were coming from incredible backgrounds already. You know, I mean, those are uh, those guys are legends in their own right for what they've done with underground music. And I mean, we even back then, yeah, we were listening to Death Cab as well. And yeah, I mean, again, when I when I when I dig in the archives, the mental archives, um, all of these bands, they they were all doing their own version of their own expression. You know, it was it was kind of cool to to have so many different types of subgenres of of punk rock or indie rock whatever you want to call it because a lot of that music a lot of the music back then you know they're they're bands that didn't even have to use distortion but you you could really feel what they were what they were doing with their songs and i don't know especially back then and maybe because the sound was just so new to me um because it was happening then there was just something about those bands that really just just resonated with me you know I, I again i just i thought the creativity was so extraordinary and i think because the uh, people people made the most incredible shit with very little when we launched this this crowdfunding campaign for for this lp which by the way i cannot believe we successfully and beyond hit our goal and i but the fact that that came back to us which we're so incredibly overwhelmed by, but now we can actually kind of like sit at the table and be like, okay, you know, what, what's this going to look like in terms of what we give back to the kids who entrusted us with their money that they've put down on something we haven't even made yet. And so it's my personal goal to kind of tap back into that, what we did way back when, which is, you know, uh, hand hand folded inserts and and even handwritten a lot of times and um, I remember we would oh my god I remember when Nick and I when we first made uh, we we made like the first JD cassette tape demos and I remember the, this is so emo <laughs> we'd go outside during the fall and we would take leaves and we would actually laminate the leaves on the covers of the cassette tapes and I I don't have one I wish I did I don't know where they went but. Maybe someone out there has one, but I've I haven't seen them since we gave them out. We maybe made like thirty of them, but we would we would do that kind of, uh, you know, hand hand applied element, and so, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do this LP, and of course it's gonna have all the traditional fixins, I guess. But you know, a, as a thank you to everyone, I went out of my way to get really beautiful paper, and I made a custom rubber stamp of this graphic that this artist uh whose name is french who is uh 
based in Nuremberg, from what I understand, even though I think he's British. But uh, he did a new graphic for the 10-inch, which we're actually going to repress. Um, I know we're kind of bouncing over here between an LP we're about to make, but a 10-inch that we did in 1999, but we're repressing now. And um, a lot of you had already have already pre-ordered one, so thanks for that. Um, but we're redoing the artwork for that. And I thought it was just another opportunity to, to tap into this thing where we do something that's different, but still in the same vein of what we did back then. Um, no, I think you're right of taking, t- taking something to have it feel a little deeper. And I was thinking about it. Bands today are doing that. They're making more videos. They're making more content. Yes. And I think the thing that maybe they'll have that we didn't have mm. was they've got a document of it. Mm-hmm. There's a metadata in the photos of yeah. when it was taken. If you took a bunch of Polaroids and one of them got lost, well, yeah. that's gone forever. It's gone. They have a documentation of it for later. So I think from the digital standpoint, they've got more memories around right. the moments, but maybe not as many physical. But maybe those were more. Maybe those are more valuable later because of yeah, possibly time stamping and all those things. So I feel like they're almost they're doing it in a different way. Yeah, that we were just taking photos on a on a on a camera. And just kind of throwing it in the bottom of the of the bag, they're right. maybe taking more, and they'll have them where you lost. You maybe lost the photos, or it, you only you forgot to make the make copies, or yeah. you only made one, and then your brother Jimmy took them. Or no, it, it, it's it's <laughs> they get lost along the way. They do, and, and it's true um, in terms of how much more content is out there, and, and especially now with bands, it's like that's part of the thing. It's like you need to make a bunch of content so people it, it increases the visibility and chances of, of you being found and also the hopefully appealing to someone because i feel like a lot of people you know they they do judge a book by its cover you know and i uh, of course a, a good song is a good song and it's undeniable and if a band a, if a band's music makes you feel a certain way then you're not going to care what the cover looks like but i think even if it's on a subconscious level you're affected by the visuals that are paired with the music. And that could be a video, that could be a social post, it could be, it could that be could anything. be anything. It could be anything. So you only, it's funny, bands then, like, you had one shot. Yeah. Scrolling through the distro. That's scro- it. Rocking through Heart Attack. Mm-hmm. Or you're seeing you. Yeah. You've and got that, those, I mean, there's probably more, radio station maybe, but like, the visuals, that distro, the record store, yeah. on the merch table. That's it. And I think, in a way, that that's kind of amazing. It gets back to what I was saying about, um, you know, that sort of inspiring real creativity. And again, the, the the visuals that people were doing, especially for back then, the types, the, those types of records, you know, just, I mean, that the the artwork alone could be its its own discussion. Yeah. Um, but I'm of a mindset now where I think it's really important to to sort of to to embrace best you know the best of both worlds in terms of what what the internet allows us to do in terms of being able to archive things and it's there forever or to develop new shit you know like my idea for for JD now is to do as much archiving as we can with with whatever we have access to i mean i i did hang on to a bunch of flyers and and original prints and photographs and stuff not as much as i would have liked but um enough to have inspired me to start the instagram two years ago and i almost look at our instagram as an archive of of everything i could possibly come across in terms of photos and flyers and 
what's been nice about the the announcement of this new record is that people have been coming out of the woodwork sending more stuff more flyers of shows that i completely forgot that exactly. we had played and then then it it brings up all of these other memories of the you know the people that you interacted with and the like, bands oh that God, you met I remember like, when we went to you know new jersey that one time and yeah or, or like and, or like oh yeah that sioux falls show was insane and you know or you know I, it's countless i still can't i still can't believe there are flyers that are coming up like i i I can't believe how much we actually played back then, you know, like that's the other thing too. When you were a band back then, that's what you had to do was, was tour and tour and tour and tour. That's just what you did. And these days, it was a big sacrifice, huge, but it was almost, at least for us, it was, that was all that mattered. Like, like we had our first tour, we had purchased a station wagon for 350 bucks and managed to do a full, u.s tour wow granted there are some gaps in the country uh <laughs> but that was just because we booked it ourselves and uh, again that that the whole thing with uh you know sh- connecting the dots and, and stringing things together as best you can with with what little you have and what's funny i was just talking to an intern and he's in a band mm. and he's punk rock like gets it like super like from this ethic diy yeah, stuff yeah 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 what he was telling me is, oh, well, it's my job in the band to book the tour. So now I'm trying in a full U.S. tour on his own. No booking agent. Yeah. But he's he's doing the same things. Yes, it might be email, but he said he's like, oh, I've got a gap in this city and I'm trying to talk to this yeah. band. And it's those same connections. It's just, yeah. it's well, still just as hard. It, it is. And I, I think I think what I what I took away from from my time back then learning this stuff on the fly just as your your intern is it it creates a certain it creates a certain work ethic in you it creates a it creates skills that you don't even know that you're developing at the time you know it's I mean, hard it's scary it, 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 it's hard it's overwhelming overwhelming is a better word and, and and it and i think a lot of people don't really have the they, they don't find themselves having uh you know a reason to do stuff like that because people who do that are people who have these ambitions of taking their their art to a different place you know and you kind of have to do that you know you have to you kind of have to go all in to make it work the way it hopefully will work you know and you have to think that you want to think think that that. that's gonna happen i want to play that bigger venue the next time i get back to that city yeah Or, or 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 just connect with people who you know who you feel are sort of in a similar headspace as you i mean for us it was about just being a part of a a very special community you know when you kind of go go about the country thinking that other kids in different cities know about these bands that you know about and even back then it felt kind of sacred you know it felt like you were in on a secret that no one else knew so when you're out out in the the real world you know, and you you were kind of looked at as like a, a weirdo or a nerd or a freak. You can at least have this thing in your pocket, knowing that there are other kids like you who were listening to similar music and were, you know, congregating at the same venues and, you know, blowing up, blowing off steam. Whether it was, you know, being in in, in the audience or in, in 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 the pit or whatever, or playing the music themselves, or you know, making a zine. Or I think s- music in general. It doesn't matter what genre. But yeah. if you go to a show. And you see a guy and it's like a certain shirt or you're at the same show and you saw him at the last show and now yeah. he's another one and you put the dots together, you're probably going to be cool with him. 
And it doesn't yeah. matter what genre it is. And I think you're right about that was my I knew that when I went to that punk rock venue, yeah. who no matter who was playing, if there were people that got in there, yeah. I could connect with them because I knew they weren't gonna Yes, there's some stupid people. Of course, yes, they're everywhere. Big, there's always drama. We're the positive show. But like you at least saw a kid and you're like Hey man, I know you're really into that band. I saw you last week. Like, oh cool. Oh well, I'm going to this one. I'll see you then. Or yeah, you weren't texting with them after, but you saw them in that environment. No, there was like a familiarity, familiarity. over time, and and that's what happened with me and Nick. Actually, you know, Nick. Well, I found him at the same shows I was going to, and what's funny is that at the time I didn't really know he was a musician, or I really I really didn't know he played guitar. It wasn't until I met Jeff at that record shop at the tune-in who the guy working at the record shop this guy kyle uh kyle mullins who was um he was the second s- singer of that band Josta 14 and Josta 14 was jamie Josta's band from Hatebreed, which is kind of weird to think it, it's again when you talk about this stuff and how much it actually spans in terms of genre and, and aesthetic and it's wildly different but anyway um kyle was super cool he was a little bit older than us and i kind of looked to him as just not like a mentor but a guy who knew his shit you know he was he looked cool he always wore a neurosis t-shirt and i'm like i'm gonna listen to that guy whatever he recommends me to listen to and i I was in the record shop one day i think it was prefacing some show uh but i was just kind of perusing through the seven inches and jeff was in there and i had never met him but kyle knew him from him going in there looking at records and he introduced us and but then i learned that jeff was already playing music with nick oh wow and and then when i realized that he had no nick and then i saw nick when i he's like yeah yeah my friend nick he plays uh guitar and we need we look we're looking for a drummer and so uh that's kind of how it happened and again it's to your point of that community where someone goes to a show and you see him and and then you go to another show and you see them and then suddenly you're playing in a band with them. And that's how, that's how, well, that's often how it happens, you know? And I think that's just so cool because it's the most organic thing in terms of how a, a band could actually come together. It's almost, it's like a natural uh, melding just, just by environment. And when you find that people see sort of eye to eye on, on how you see things creatively, you know, some sometimes it really works and that's why I'm, i feel like we were so lucky because we kind of just clicked into something that we didn't know what we didn't know what it was at the time but once we did you know that that sort of genre or that sound was in other parts of the country not really i mean we knew uh, we knew about hardcore in general you know and punk rock but in terms of what we were doing not not really. We were kind of discovering other bands that were similar while we were doing it. And it kind of just blew this whole door. Like It just blew the doors wide open in terms of what we thought was possible in terms of connecting with these other types of bands and it was I, we, like encouragement i bet too we, we, like they're, want, they're doing it in florida we, we can do this this way totally or. we wanted to know who these other people were you know i i remember i first learned of reversal of man by listening to a mixtape and i just kept getting stuck on their song because it was i mean they're one of the to me they're one of the best diy hardcore bands 
out there, you know, to have ever existed. And I, but it, and for a variety of reasons, it wasn't just because of their music. It was because of who I learned, you know, it, who I discovered them to be as people. Cause we've eventually met them through playing together or, uh, you know, um, being at, at, at like a, a, you know, I mean, yeah, we, we, we weren't super tight, but, we knew of each other and I think we respected what we were doing because we saw that the, the approach was very similar and, um, you know, they were just such an influence on us, not, not just musically, but, but I think they were an influence because they were such a great example of what, what being punk was, at least to us, you know, yeah, they were, they were good people, super nice. And they were also super intact as a band themselves from what we could tell. You and know? you're learning something from them. Hey, they did this this way, or I saw them present this, this. Like you're all sort of learning each other, like how they're doing things, or just or just observing. You know, like I think, I think the the, the cool thing about back then was um, how everyone sort of contributed in their own way. You know, in terms of bands and other people who were creative in the scene and doing stuff that kind of enriched that 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 it, it, it developed a very particular culture you know which i thought was so cool because it really was authentic and like you said you know in 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 groups you know there's always a shithead here and there and but then again you you think about it like most of the people that i came across back then they were really nice and just like decent kids and i think they either came from like broken homes or were just you know some some they were going through something of their own struggle, you know, whether it was personal or, or, uh, f- family or uh, you just, who, who knows this thing, everyone's story is different, but for some reason, these kids congregated to this particular culture when you're around long enough. And it's so funny when I, when, when I talk like this, it's like, am I that old? We're not that old, but we've been around long enough to really see the change and to see how, how things have, stuck around how things have faded how things have you know it's that perspective too of yeah. i think you know the in high school you know there's certain things that are like the end of the world in college there's things that they're the end of the world yes there's things at work that you think are the end of the world but thankfully if i think there's a way to look at them in a different lens yeah and i sometimes think 2000 was yesterday and then when yeah. I look at some things and I go, oh, my God, mm. I need to stop looking like a creep in front of the interns referencing, <laughs> you know, TV shows I like know. that kind of stuff. I, where we're, I, we're at that point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know what? It's I think it's all right. I mean, you got to just you just got to roll with it, I guess. There are there are moments where I, I'm, I'm in the same I'm in the same situation where I kind of thought myself. I was Colin Jost at one of the DJ nights, which was fantastic. <laughs> that helped me. And then another moment. The person's like, I don't know if the 20 songs you played, can you play something in the last five years? And I was yeah. like, fuck. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, a blessing and a curse. It's like, on one hand, we could be looked at as seasoned pros. And then on the other, we're just old and creepy and hanging on to our youth. But yeah. you know what? If you, don't if, tell if, me about the late 90s again, Tom. Uh, Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I begin? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but... Here's the thing. When when a point in time in your life mattered to you and really 
had influence on how you operate in the world today, I think it's it's worth talking about. And I think there are people who want to hear about it, whether it was, it was fellow you know fellow punks from back then or or younger younger kids now who just want some little bit of a window to to that world and what it was like and honestly beyond beyond the internet and technology and all that shit it it's like like i think that the core principles are they will always be constant you know and i think for me it really is just to somehow find it within yourself to tap into your own output of creativity no matter what it is whether it's it's in music whether it's it's visually whether it's in writing whether it's in i mean it doesn't matter what it is but i think that's the key and that's really the key for for anything right just to do things with with real intention and and you know of course the the word authenticity has been thrown around so hard where it's it what does that mean anymore but at the end of the day you just have to be truthful with with what it is you're doing and i think about myself and my my timeline as a musician you know from 2001 when jd broke up and my weird roller coaster ride of a music career that really was anything but punk i i employed or you know i applied my own work ethic and and diy principles to everything i i did after jd but the the world the worlds that i kind of became a part of as a musician were so much different from what i was used to when i was in a band when i was 19 and i kind of struggled struggled with that you know as like a a a kid and steeped in punk rock who suddenly uh had a a record deal with a major label and that was really weird for me to uh, not come to grips with but it took me a while to figure out my my place in all that and i think that might have been my own personal relationship with this idea of being you know signing to a major label as being you know anti-punk rock you know and uh but it was it was it was a weird 10 plus years after the band when i tried to stick with music but again in my own way like i i really wanted to do something wildly different and it it never quite aligned you know so it's funny to fast forward to now and here i am back to basics and it feels fucking great you know but again that comes that comes back to intention and uh but you're wanting to create you talked about the sort of the creative part and that's what you wanted to do and it's with those two other guys and you Mm -hmm. creating it felt great and that you could have had a really successful thing with the other bands it could have something could have taken off but i still even if it did i still think this conversation today yeah you could have just played msg you still would have been just as stoked yeah doing this 100 percent, and um you know I think, uh, and I think that's that's that, I think that's why I'm I'm saying it on tape right now. Like I'm just saying, like you know, whatever you you guys do, creatively, or whatever you do that's supposed to be some kind of form of of artistic expression, just make sure that you answer to yourself to make sure that what it is you're doing is is really kind of tapping into to whatever's going on inside you. Because um, I think there's a lot of people out there who who really. They, they they gun for the the to to be a big band, 
you know, or their, their, their goals are to, you know, get a million Instagram followers and, and do a bunch of brand partnerships and make tons of money, which is not a, it's not, it's, that's not necessarily a wrong thing. I just think that the, the final product comes out much differently when you have that approach to the work. And so, you know, you, you said earlier that, that we got a little bit of hate for this crowdfunding campaign because a lot of people, they, they kind of like self-imploded when they saw that we raised $20,000 to make this record. Well, it's funny, little do they know that that's actually what it costs is to essentially make a record, you know? Um, and mind you, that money that we raised, that's not just for a record. That's to actually press the record ourselves. That's to print our own merch. That's to fly from LA to New York to Connecticut to San Francisco. It's like, we, you know, we're three. And that's what those people know. Like, I think the haters, I think yeah. they're jealous that you got it done in four days or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And w- are, in a, are in a crappier band and mm. don't have the work ethic. I think there's pieces of it that the crowdfunding part if someone wants i gave money to jeremy enig for a record mm. it took two years people were pissed and kind of complaining yeah i i don't care jeremy enig here's twenty dollars go make a new record right. i like you as a musician right. right make it yeah and if you need my help and you're asking fine and i'm getting a cd that's so there's the 10 bucks and 10 bucks goes to the recording or whatever it was yeah. so to do that i don't see that as like a, a weird thing. I just think it's jealousy of bands, people. Yeah, it, it, it probably just makes people kind of reflect on their own shortcomings or lack of uh, focus or whatever. And make shit that's, then. That's, go do a go go make a record. Like, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and honestly, it's, it's so. And again, the the haters actually aren't that aren't that many. They're, they could probably count them on you know one hand. But it's interesting though what what sort of fueled their their comments or their their rationale i mean one guy on instagram was actually talking about how diy labels are starting to kind of fall by the wayside and he didn't articulate it like that but it was something in that realm uh and i asked him you know i'm like so are you are you mad at us because you think we're taking away from diy record labels when in fact we are actually doing this ourselves like you're are you telling us how to operate on our own terms like it's contradictory it, it's it's and it, that's the kind of shit that really an, uh, annoys me is is catching people in their contradiction contradictions you know they try to make these these bullshit arguments about you know what's punk what's not punk what's diy what's not DIY. it's like dude shut the fuck up like why don't you make a record or why don't you do it your way but Please don't don't tell us how to now. If it run got zero dollars, if you did the crowdfunding and no one, then fine. Well, well shit, no sure. one cares, or everyone wants us to, you know, do it another way. Yeah, but it it was successful. There were enough people that said, "Here you go, Jerome Stream." Right. I want some more music. This is an opportunity to not only sort of re reconnect the dots of of way back when when the shit was happening but now there's there's even more opportunity for more engagement and there is there's there, newer bands today there, there are newer bands today and there there are kids who are you know 10 some 15 years younger or 20 years younger than us but um they're being drawn to it for probably similar reasons and you know even though we're a little bit older and we're not 
in the mix as like a, a you know a full-time touring band i still want to think that whatever contrib- contribution we're making this year or going into next whatever 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 our presence is doing now i'm hoping that it gives some kind of access or window to what what it was like back then whether it's the shit that i post on social media or we just launched a website um with with uh, an, uh, an archive page, so basically I've taken uh, I've taken a lot of the the prints that I've just had in like envelopes and shoeboxes for years, and you know I've just I've just photographed them with my phone, and that's how I, that's how I get a digital file of them. I just I just try and take a decent photo with the phone and get it up online, just so they're preserved. You know, I mean it, I think maybe eventually I'll I'll get them scanned officially, but you almost don't need to. Um, I'd like you to. Okay, I'll I'll do that. Okay, great. I can uh, I can, can recommend that a scanner. Part? Okay, thank you, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, in terms of archiving this stuff, I mean, truthfully, my like bigger picture goal, I just I want to make I want to make like a proper documentary. You know, I want to like help facilitate whether it's whether someone's already like on the the cusp of of doing something like that. I really would like to, and it's a huge undertaking on but, on uh, the band or late nineties. No, the, the the culture as a whole, you know, and and similar similar to what you've done. I mean, you've done you you've been at this for almost a decade, you know, properly interviewing artists and 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 musicians from from then from back then, and you know, you've kind of created your 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 own uh, sort of historical documents. You know, whether it's a podcast or if it's your your book, which uh, is available on a. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it's available. Anthologyofemo.com. <laughs> Volume two coming soon. Um, but it's these types of things that, that you know people like yourself are doing that's really creating sort of a, a pathway to this stuff that mattered so much to so many people, you know, our age, but but you know, appropriately emo for uh you know, for our purposes with, with the the podcast name. Uh Emo means something entirely entirely different to people like you and myself versus people who now have had the definition of emo about ten ten times down the line. You know, a, a carbon copy of a carbon copy of what this idea of what emo actually is. You know, um, I won't I won't name bands either, but I'm sure we we could agree that that some of the bands out there who've become popular but who are clearly just just they're just a carbon copy of, and and they know it. They have they, I'm, and I'm sure back then they were they were those kids on the floor at the shows. And but again, it's a it's a timing thing too, I guess. And there's always going to be that. I mean, I, I think it happens with every genre. Yeah, you know. So it's just. I mean, this word's obviously hated. I think screamo's got it worse than emo. Yeah, I've always joked about that. Like, well, have you heard of scrams? Yes. So that's that was a new one for me. Like I, I kind of saw it pop up over the past couple of years, but I never knew that 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 has been around for a minute. See, that shows how fucking out of the loop I am. I mean, so when I started hearing about scrams and hearing that like JD and Orchid and uh, you know all these other bands in that similar circle were deemed as scrams, I had never heard the term. I actually didn't know what it was when there was all these message boards like mentioning it and like Reddit and also I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I was like, I'm in the scene. I've been like literally in bands and labels and like yeah. as close as you can. I just, and I've never heard this term. What fuckhead wrote like thought of this? He's probably 22. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
bunch of fuckheads like we were at 22. Exactly. <laughs> and though I don't even know if we considered ourselves, uh, we never referenced ourselves as Screamo. We always we always thought of ourselves to be a hardcore band. Um, Which is what but, the shows were. I think that's yeah. the, you know, obviously genre and p- labeling and things people hate, but the it, it was a hardcore show. You just said it was totally. a hardcore show. Yeah. And that could mean a post-hardcore band. That could mean... A straight edge hardcore band that could mean well, a screamo band, like all those things in one show. Totally, all you had to do was say hardcore show. Well, you know, speaking of like post hardcore, which you would say shift is deemed as post hardcore, right? Yeah. It's like you have shift and you have like quicksand, now, still suit. Who, I always knew of still suit. I never listened to them, but um, they're again, they were always a band that I saw on a flyer. Um, but to go back to shift, um, I just want to say that shift was by far one of my favorite bands from back then and i remember i had um i had the shift cassette of um was it pathos pathos was their yeah. ep yeah yeah i had that on cassette and i i listened to it so much that i think i wore the tape out but i saw shift play in new haven and they came through new haven quite often um they would play with bands like i remember one of the bills it was like orange nine millimeter who i'm actually not that familiar with but uh Chaka was in that band. He was in that's fire. right, Burn. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I, I think I discovered Shift through going to an Orange Nine Millimeter show because I knew that uh, is, is, is Chaka. Chaka. Yeah, because Burn was fucking awesome. I had I had that seven inch, um, but Shift blew my mind because for one, they, I thought they were amazing live, and they just had such an energy. But also that 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 the sound, you know that 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 post-hardcore sound i guess i mean it's just so different at the time it totally was and i just thought they were amazing and then spacesuit came out but then they signed to they signed to a major Columbia. and uh, in 97 which is that almost seems like too early and i think for that for them signing to columbia was too early for them i don't think they should have signed and i also don't think they should have called the record get rich get in I thought it was Get Rich. Get Rich Quick Scheme was their EP that came out as like a promo, but their album was called Get In. Oh, see, it's so funny. Get Rich just, I'm like, no way. And they're like wearing suits now. And one of their videos, yeah, I Want to Be Rich, they were in suits. Okay. See, Feel free to, to, to I, I, there's, if there's one band, I know the trivia. <laughs> uh, that's amazing because I, I think just as a, as a, as a young kid, I think I just didn't understand. Maybe it was just, a, it was a, it was beyond me. Like, I think they probably took that and they sort of, like, as underground, you know, people come from the, coming from the underground, they probably sort of wanted to, like, flip it on its head or something in terms of whatever their uh, inspiration was for get, get rich or get, I don't know, like, but I, I guess I'll say, in, in short, I, I, they kind of lost me after spacesuit, but, but pathos and or pathos and spacesuit were the two records i listened to on repeat and um and then a little side side note i actually came across i think his name was brandon the bass player um i don't know how i know that but because uh, when i went when i went to school uh, i went to fit uh just down in chelsea and that's why i moved here i transferred from umass when i was up there for a bit and but but Brendan was 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 he was just at a coffee shop, and I said, "You look really familiar." I'm like, "I'm like, were you in a band?" You know, and 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 he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "What was it called?" He's like, "Oh, Shift." And uh, when he said Shift, I'm like, I kind of, I kind of, I mean, I didn't like freak out or anything, but I just, 
I took them out. I took the opportunity to ex- just express to him how much I loved the band, and he was so cool and chill. And um, but that's another th- cool thing about punk is that there really is no other side in terms of your ability to interact with other. I mean, sure, there's bands who are really big, and you know, sometimes you just don't get to have a one-on-one with them. But there's just just happened to be in a random cafe, and he was there, and. Um, I've, I've was, seen him was, randomly in the city, yeah. of time and time before you would exchange Facebook or yeah, or just, text. But you would see him, and I remember just because I'd done stuff with them in the band right. after they, you know, helping their website and doing a bunch of things for them right, after. Right. But it was just funny to always be like Tom, you know, like what's up? And yeah. it was it was just like an I think that instant what I talked we talked about earlier about like that hardcore thing where you just nod and you're cool. Yeah, I think it's just like. But that's we're, what it was. Yeah. yeah and, and, and We're good. And exactly. And it's like, no need to fucking go on a Facebook and try and find them. It's not the same. It's way cooler when it just happens to be in that sort of passing moment. And you, you meet someone, and like you said, it's kind of like, you, you, it's like you kind of know. And not like on a, like, like, not on like a cult level, you know. But the fact that we've all shared something very unique and specific, it just makes it, I mean, I don't know if I would call it sacred, but when you when you know that you've shared something uh, that means a lot to you with other people who presumably feel the same way or very similarly, there's something really cool about that. Something I mean, I've really done 130 of these interviews. It's all, 99% of them. It's that same thing. Everyone's trying to like put into words, yeah, what. Their their time period meant it could have been in two thousand nine, it could have been in ninety seven, it could have been eighty eight, yeah. but it's that same well, thought, and it just goes to show that there there is something um, there 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 is a constant through it all. You know, there there is something there that kind of keeps it all tied together, and um, you know, actually, I, I I I full disclosure, I didn't get through the entire interview yet. I started listening to the, your interview with Nate from Casket Lottery, and it kind of blew my mind that his background sounded very similar to mine. And specifically, when he mentioned his sister and like the the, the music he discovered. Oh be, yeah, with the sister. Well, yeah, because yeah, he was talking about how you know he started listening to the Smiths and like the Cure, and how the Cure is like his all time. And again, I feel like a lot of us have these similar stories because when I heard him say that, I thought to myself, "Well, shit, my sister. I I was first exposed to this you know music that was, I mean, it was popular, but it was different. And The Cure was like my first band that kind of took me to to that place. You know, I'm doing quotations right now <laughs> for your for you listeners out there. That place is 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 it and. The Cure cassette tapes. She had the Smiths as well. She had a couple Iron Maiden LPs. I didn't really mess with those. You missed out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I couldn't get past the artwork. You know, holy shit. No, um, but they lay they lay some heavy ground fire. Yeah, they've really um they've made their mark, <laughs> but just didn't quite grab me. <laughs> I think I listened to uh, their documentary that uh, they did recently I, is. Fucking amazing! Really, uh, I'll be sure to check it out because it's Bruce Dickinson, who's a licensed seven four seven pilot, is flying the plane for them around the con- around the world for this tour. Oh my god! So it's like not only does he sing and run around all day, but he also flies the plane. Um, it's 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 a great. For some reason that would terrify me. That idea. 
but he, he is a pilot. Well, <laughs> you never know. Um, yeah, you never. If I, I mean, I'm sure like a lot of these, the, a lot of the people who come from this scene, they uh, they do some pretty crazy shit, like become pilots. Or I think at this point, you know, you could just uh, do your part. You know, just in general, right? You just do your part to to preserve it, develop it, evolve it, whatever. But you know, the 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 principles are essentially the same through and through. You know, and again, that's what I think I'm returning to at this point after all this time, where I felt like you know I'm I'm creative in my in my my daily life. I'm creative, you know, with work. I'm I'm lucky to have a job that allows me to be creative and. Um, you know, but, but I think musically and culturally for me, you know, like, like culturally in in terms of, uh, music culture, um, I felt like I needed to return to this for some reason. And I'm, I'm seeing now more, more than ever, obviously, because my, my eyes are open to this, to, to see, how actually how involved other people are you know it's like the fact that i did this led me to uh talk about it with rishi you know our mutual friend rishi who does song exploder he mentioned tom to me that he had this podcast who's who's archiving the sort of the the timeline of of this particular genre of punk and recommended you know me to get in touch with you and again that's that type of dot connecting that happens within this this community of people who again quotations know uh about this stuff and i just find that so cool that we're doing that in 2018 we're still connecting the dots and that's i think a really important aspect of it is um people continuing to to kind of go about it that way because even though we live in a different time in in technology and accessibility and all that access whatever if we kind of preserve that kind of community element of of what punk rock was kind of founded on um there's still a level of magic that kind of happens despite our our current uh our current space you know in terms of digital um and again that kind of goes back to about six hours ago when we were talking about um, that element of uh, that sort of tactile element of engaging with something or, or something that you know was 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 handled by someone else that cares about this shit as much as you do, and that kind of remi- reminds me of, of again getting back to packaging and record la- like records. Um, certain record labels I'll, I'll mention one just for the archives this this one re- record label that i was in love with back then was witching hour records which which was founded by this guy chris williams who i think is still he's doing visual art now but i've lost touch with him but before we even did a record or we did two records with uh with him one was the orchid skull split uh 10 inch and then we did a, a, a split five inch with book of dead names um the first record we discovered of his that he put out was the Orchid Pig Destroyer split seven inch. And the packaging was just so cool. It was hand silk screened and there was like some kind of like handwritten element to it or it was hand numbered or something. And that really intrigued me as a young kid discovering punk. I, I, that's that I thought, fuck, that'd be so cool to start a band and, 
I think we are, had already started the band, but that'd be cool to do a record with that guy because he has this point of view and he's so creative in how he does it. And it's like not setting a, a deliberate example for younger punks to follow because I think they almost they sort of inherently know what's involved or what what makes it punk. But to, but to kind of uphold those principles of, of, of uh, a DIY approach or, you know, a personalized approach. Because everything that's digital, it's hard to personalize that, right? And I think both can coexist. It's just how you structure it, you know? It's like if you have, a, if you have cool content on your Instagram, cool, that's great. But if you can do something a little extra by, you know, making... Uh, like making a zine or, or or doing a handwritten note to every person who orders a record or a t-shirt from you or because even if you're not in a band who who makes that stuff the recipient of those types of things that that can change how you feel and interpret like a, an interaction you know because i think they are becoming less and less common uh, especially in the music space because everything's just like you know churn out as much as you can Throw it, throw, throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Um, but yeah, that's cool. So nice. Uh, but it, one more thing yeah. about uh, you know, I was just thinking about Jimmy Eat World. I'll never forget on our first tour, we had reached the West Coast for the first time in that three hundred and fifty dollars station wagon I mentioned <laughs> earlier. So we roll up to this venue um, in San Diego. I cannot, the name escapes me, but if someone is listening and they know where I'm talking about, leave it in the comment section. Um, but one of the guys from the band Unbroken was doing The Door, and Un- Unbroken was like a San Diego hardcore band. And uh, so we arrived to this venue the night before we were actually to play that venue, and lo and behold, Jimmy World was there playing with uh, uh, Jay June. Um, I, I don't know if they've done a split 7-inch, but I remember Jay June, I, I discovered them. I think they had a 7-inch or something, and I know that Jimmy Eat World had a split with Piebald, I believe. Did they? I don't think they had one with Piebald. I don't know why I think that. I think maybe this is just a time when I discovered those particular bands. Yeah, but, yeah that makes sense. But, but Jimmy Eat World was, uh, they had a 15-passenger van parked outside, so this is pre-Bleed American. Uh but um, it was so cool. We got to see Jimmy World in a small venue. And uh, from what I can tell, and to, to what you were saying earlier about them taking these newer bands on tour with them, it's cool that they're sort of keeping, keeping that line to their roots open and sort of folding in younger bands that sort of aesthetically work well with them or, or you know, kind of make sense to pair with them. But I think it's cool, and it's a similar thing to, I think it's a similar thing to like the success of a band like Foo Fighters, where there's guys who are part of this underground punk rock community, and they're still acknowledging that that's that's where they where it all started for them, and um, you know, it's important for people to see. It is important. I, I really do, and it's also refreshing. You know, it, it's. I think a lot of people could could. You know, criticize Dave Grohl uh, or even Jimmy World for that matter. You know, these these types of bands who have gone on to commercial success. But uh, how how can you? You know, the they're constantly 
nodding to sort of the, the very fabric that it came from that was... And there's still a band. And there's still a band. 